The Bustrophedon Plummerfeld Hypothesis and Futurological Linguistics by J. Trones of the Futurological Linguistics Association, Rice University, from Volume 147, Number 2 of Speculative Grammarian, February 1993. Recently, I found myself fortunate enough to find such an occasion as to weasel the word Bustrophedon into a conversation. After having expounded on the many joyous properties of this word, I entreated my fellow conversational participant to remember the word and attempt to become one of those few and proud who have used it casually in non-academia. In a subsequent discourse with my native English-speaking informant, I asked her to recall the illustrious word. Her response was Plummerfeld. After a brief laugh at her misrecollection, we considered its cause. This issue has taken up much of my thought and time, and I have decided that what we have is something akin to the notion of underlying ancestral forms. In this theory, it is upheld that the underlying forms of words are some distant phonetic ancestors of the present forms, and that these are transformed by phonological rules into the present forms. My complementary theory, which seems just as intuitively plausible, is that indeed we hold within us not only the past phonetic forms of lexical items, but their future forms as well. We can see the direction that English phonology will take by looking at the Boosterfeden to Plummerfeld transformation. First, we see a metathesis of the liquid in schwa, which is common enough in modern English, giving Boosterfeden. We also have a loss of the final syllabic nasal and the recently metathesized schwa, and a devoicing of the initial stop, all of which are not unevidenced in present times. The result? Pusterfeed. There is a general lowering of the vowels, not surprising in American English, spoken by such lazy folk as it is. The resultant form is further modified by the transformation of S to H, and H to null, and the now intervocalic T is summarily voiced, sending pusterfed to putterfed. Now, in a narrower transcription, we would have noticed that the vowels were indeed slightly nasalized due to contact with that nasty Chicago dialect, and as a result, the nasality spreads to the coda of the primarily stressed syllable, transforming D to N. Of course, an immediate hypercorrective vowel denasalization follows, and the attempt to normalize the new N results in its assimilation in place to the P, and we have pummerfed. The last change, as of yet unseen in English, is a radical, epithetic liquid dissimilation, causing the middle syllable, containing syllabic R, to be flanked by syllables containing L, as far as possible from the precipitating syllabic R, giving Plummerfeld. Notice that, remarkably, the stress pattern is unchanged, showing, undoubtedly, that English stress patterns have fulfilled their manifest destiny and are therefore to be considered immutable. Now that we have considered the future of phonology, let us turn our attention to syntax. Considering the following sentence from Davis. 1. Instinct is the null response to an entropic environment. Consider also the following related sentences. 2. Environment is the null response to an entropic instinct. 3. Response is the null environment to an entropic instinct. 4. Instinct is the null environment to an entropic response. 5. Environment is the null instinct to an entropic response. 6. Response is the null instinct to an entropic environment. They all mean the exact same thing. And native speakers of English, even non-naive linguistics graduate students, and probably the naive ones too, produce all six of these in free variation. From this we conclude that English is well on its way to becoming a language with almost totally free word order. The evidence is clear and unmistakable. We have just witnessed the birth of a new subfield of linguistics, futurological linguistics. It is expected that there will be a messy bit of afterbirth in the form of dissent from the unenlightened and closed-minded, 
but that will be easily wiped away by the strong among my followers. There is also the matter of the umbilical, which must be cut as quickly as possible. Indeed, there is no need for an opening of lengthy obeisance to my great genius in every paper, article, or book in the field. Such silly things have been seen to happen in the past. Indeed, only a line or two will do quite nicely. Now, if only they will just let me out of this room. A brief list of works cited and considered includes Philip Davis, Language and Intelligence Aya Katz Conroy Conrack, Same or Different Mark David Billy Jim Bob Mikko Johnsonford The Life and Times of No One in Particular Tim Pouillou Some Issues in the History of Linguistics The Life and Times of the Russian Linguist N. Marr and Will You Please Pass the Cheese Plate Rice University Linguistics and Semiotics Colloquium of Titles Too Long to Discuss Elsewhere Thomas Piles and John Algeo Origins and Development of the English Language Thanks to Miss Joey Whitford, unwitting but willing subject, and Mr. Tim Rosh Polyu, evil linguist extraordinaire, and NASA, which provided the space tadpoles.